So good to see you this morning. Um, uh, you know, I want to start off by thanking you for your love for Alan and Danette this morning. Um, I, I sent Keith a little treat. That, that For those of you who have been here for a long time, you're going to immediately resonate with this. Uh, for those of you who are new to Lakeview, you're going you're to go, wow, this is, there's some, guys, we, we are so much about God doing things right at this moment. It's like we have a moment of crisis. We think God, that, that everything is about this moment. And the Lord sees things so much differently than we do, don't, doesn't he? he? He sees the building of his kingdom. And that, that, that includes moments. But it includes months and it includes years and decades. And so what I want to show you, I want to show you something that has to do with Lakeview and it has to do with God's grace over Lakeview and it has to do with Alan and it has to do with the connectedness between our churches and transferring the gospel to the next generation. Uh, guys, do you have that picture ready? Do you have, the, do you have that picture ready? Is it there? Remember they were saying that I, I was a pastor here at Lakeview. Um, <laughs> I don't know how to describe this. Um, I, I, I was typecast in the ministry here. I was typecast when we would do VBS and we'd do children's ministry. My name was not too bright. Again, it was typecasting. It was a, it, very clearly appropriate for me. And so I would dress up as this clown that would, we thought it was ministry to the children. It was scaring the children is <laughs> what it was doing. But, um, and so here we were at a VBS. This was in the old building. And, um, and we, were, we were doing a VBS. And there was a young man who, even as Keith said, at a young age, shadowed the leaders. He, he just, you would look around and he would just, he would just gravitate and, and be there and want to learn, even if it meant humiliating himself <laughs> like this guy in front of him. And so Alan there is, I don't know, buddy, what do you think, 10, ten years old maybe? I, something like that. Ten years old. And so even back in those days, there was this heart to serve, this heart to love the Lord, this heart to give to others, to prefer others above himself. And, and there, there's been a, a lot that's changed in those years and a lot that hasn't. What has changed is Alan is no longer a clown. He's a man of God. But some things don't change. And I'm still not too bright. <laughs> Um, and you know what's exciting, whether we look at Alan or we look at the younger men here, we look at Evan or you look at Eric, you look at some of the younger men that are growing up here now and serving. You know, there were days when, when they were, were I, I, I say that hopefully you understand what I mean, they were in our shadows. The anger, the angle of the sun is changing a little bit. The sun's not changed. But the angle of the sun is changing, and it is our joy to begin to find ourselves in their shadows. You know? So you guys, thank you. Thanks for giving. Thank you for caring. Thanks for having a vision that church life is, is more than just right here in, in Orleans Parish, more than right here at Lakeview, that there is a kingdom to be built, and there are workers to be trained. Uh, Alan has served so well 
under God's grace in Midland. He leads care group. He's taught our youth. He's been our youth pastor. He's been our parent youth leader. He's, he's, he's helped. He, he's, he's overseen our audiovisual. He's, he's overseen our website. He's done, I mean, there's just innumerable ways he's served and he's done so uh, with excellence. So thanks. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Okay. Now let's quickly get rid of that picture. Um, would you join me in prayer this morning? Father, thank you. Thank you for your word. We don't want to just rush into it. We want to stop and savor the opportunity we're about to experience. Thanks for loving us. Thanks for bleeding for us, Jesus. Thanks for suffering for us. Thanks for suffering instead of us. Oh, God, pour out your spirit upon us, we pray. Use this word to not only give us a deeper love for who you are and what you've done, but please use this word to grow our love for each other. Because this world will know that we're your people because of the love we have for each other. For your glory and the joy of this church, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Guys, would you open your Bibles? We're going to look at a couple of passages this morning. Um, And so uh, we'll start in the book of Deuteronomy in chapter 27. And then... Where we'll camp, well, I just want to see, want you to see some background in Deuteronomy 27, and where we'll camp is in Joshua chapter 8. So we're, we're seeing God's sovereignty and His love over His people, His desire that His people understand His covenant with them, His desire for His people to understand what it means to be in covenant with each other. Um, uh, and so we're going to look at, at Moses speaking... Uh, under God's empowerment uh, and inspiration in Deuteronomy 27. And then we're going to look at the fulfillment of what takes place later with Joshua and the people as they have crossed over the Jordan into the Promised Land. So in Deuteronomy, this is going to be some background. I want you to, again, understand the time flow here. This is taking place years before Israel has crossed over the Jordan here in Deuteronomy 27. Um, If you'll begin reading with me in verse 1. Now Moses and the elders of Israel commanded the people, saying, Keep the whole commandment that I command you today. And on the day you cross over the Jordan to the land that the Lord your God is giving you, you shall set up large stones and plaster them with plaster. So I want you to picture uh, not just... um, Decorative stones, we're not talking about uh, even, even a boulder. We're talking about large billboard-like stones. And they are whitewashing them in order to be very visible, to be a highlight for people, to be something that is easily, easily seen. And you shall write on them all the words of this law when you cross over to enter the land of the lord the land that the lord your god is giving you a land flowing with milk and honey as the lord the god of your fathers 
has promised you. And when you've crossed over the Jordan, you shall set up these stones concerning which I command you today on Mount Ebal, and you shall plaster them with plaster. And there you shall build an altar to the Lord your God, an altar of stones. You shall wield no iron tool on them. You shall build an altar to the Lord your God of uncut stones. So picture this. Big, giant stones. And here God is saying, for what I'm going to accomplish, what I want to illustrate with these stones, the effort of man cannot be involved. When it comes to the substitutionary sacrifice of God, man's efforts cannot be involved. It is a gift from God. The innocent dies for the guilty. And man cannot achieve that. So these are uncut stones, no sweat, no, none of man's efforts can be involved. And he goes further and he says, you shall offer burnt offerings on it to the Lord your God and you shall sacrifice peace offerings and shall eat there and you shall rejoice before the Lord your God. Matt, the songs were so good. I mean, just, oh, the feast, the, the fellowship, the amazement at a substitute dying for the guilty and innocent for the guilty. So there's joy, feasting, and you shall write on the stones all the words of this law very plainly. And now go to Joshua chapter 8. Moses is gone. God has been faithful in spite of our sin. He has kept His promises, though His promises in our economy took years to fulfill. God will be faithful. Don't, don't forget that when He's promised you, He will be faithful. And here in verse 30, At that time Joshua built an altar to the Lord, the God of Israel, on Mount Ebal, just as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded the people of Israel. As it is written in the book of the law of Moses, an altar of uncut stones upon which no man has wielded an iron tool. And they offered on it burnt offerings to the Lord and sacrificed peace offerings. And there, in the presence of the people of Israel, he wrote on the stones a copy of the law of Moses, which he had written. And all of Israel, sojourner as well as native-born, with their elders and their officers and their judges, stood on opposite sides of the Ark of the Covenant before the Levitical priests, who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, half of them in front of Mount Gerizim and half of them in front of Mount Ebal, just as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded at the first to bless the people of Israel. And afterward, he read all the words of the law, the blessing and the curse. And you're going to become a part of that today. According to all that is written in the book of the law, there was not a word of all that Moses commanded that Joshua did not read before all the assembly of Israel and the women and the little ones and the sojourners who lived among them. This was a memorable moment. Memorial days. Uh, a memorial day, you could call it. One of the, one of the, you could call it one of the original memorial days. Memorials are to leave a mark on us, aren't they? One thing, it was, it was wonderful living in New Orleans. I mean, my goodness, beignets and crawfish. Who can beat that, right? Um, 
But you know, one of the things that New Orleans is missing, and, and it was, it's missing in Midland, is what, what I was able to experience growing up in my hometown of Los Alamos, New Mexico. Los Alamos is a little town in the mountains of New Mexico, about 17,000 people, not a big place. But Los Alamos was the atomic city. Uh, it was the place where they developed the, the atomic bomb. It was a secretive city for, for many, many years. And you had to have clearances just to be able to get into the city. In fact, there is so much radioactivity in Los Alamos. You gotta, I was born with blonde hair and blue eyes. <laughs> um, <laughs> but in Los Alamos, in this mountainous town... There was this beautiful, there's this mountain that, you know, from any point in town, you would walk out and, and it was called L.A. Mountain. And, and up on L.A. Mountain was, was a group of, of people had brought up big whitewashed stones and they formed them in the shape of the L.A. And, and, and that L.A. helped us remember things. I can remember my dad. We would be driving, and he'd maybe be taking me to the Little League game, or, and, and we would drive in a, in a route that took us past L.A. Mountain. And I can remember my dad saying, Billy, Billy, never forget that you are a part of a people of history. You're a part of a community. You're a part of something that's bigger than yourself. And he would tell me how Robert Oppenheimer and Enrico Fermi and some of these brilliant guys would walk past his office. And, that, and my dad was, was in, in, uh, in the southern part of New Mexico when one of the first atomic tests, the, the, the uh, bombs that were dropped uh, as a test, my dad was a witness to that. And so when, when my dad would... would would see L.A. Mountain. He would stop and he would help me remember. Remember, son, we're a little town, but, but, but you know what? Big things can come out of little places. And then other times he would have me look up there. And I want you, do you see what he's doing? He's wanting to leave a mark on me, isn't he? He's, he's, he's wanting me to remember something and in remembering it that I'm marked. I'm marked that I can't be the same. That what has happened, and, and this was, my dad was sharing these things without in, involving the great and mighty God in it. So you can imagine even more how God would want to move in helping us remember things. But so my dad is wanting to mark me with, with a memory that you're a part of something bigger than yourself. And, and, and I guess he's, he's doing that because he knows how easy it is to forget, Right? This morning, what we're talking about this morning, the title of the message is Remembering Why We Gather. Why are we here? Did we get up this morning and did we wander in just because we've gotten into a, a, a we're accustomed to coming? It's Sunday, it's 10 o'clock, or if you're here for prayer, it's 8 o'clock. Uh, the school of the word, you know, we, we're here. It's a good spiritual discipline. That's all fantastic. But Sometimes in the midst of something happens, sometimes spiritual disciplines, that's, they're, they're vital to our lives. We experience the love of God, the life of God and the means of grace of the disciplines. But there's a fine line between doing something because you're deriving life in the Lord from it. And, and there's a fine line that you cross sometimes and it just becomes doing something, doesn't it? And, and that when you cross that fine line, you, you seem to not be as marked by the things that you do. And you seem to begin to forget, why is it that I'm here? And what's taking place in this passage is God is calling our attention not to L.A. Mountain, 
but to another mountain, actually two mountains, Mount Ebal. And so we're going we're gonna to refer to Mount Ebal, Ebal as being over here. And Mount Gerizim, we're going to refer to Mount Gerizim as being over here. And he's calling our attention to two other mountains. He's calling our attention to some whitewashed stones. He's, he's calling our attention to remember that we are a people connected to not just history. You say it with me. His story. He's wanting to mark us with remembering where we're connected to here so that we can see clearly where we're going to here. And that's this, I, hope, I hope this passage will be a blessing to you in the way that it was uh, for me as I studied it. I, I so want you to derive the benefit. So simple outline is remembering why we're gathered. Why are we here? And we're going to find out in this, in this text that there's really four elements of why we gather, remembering why we gather, being marked by why we gather. And the first point this morning will be we gather to experience the presence of God in a manifest way. The second point this morning is that we gather to remember God's Word. The third point this morning is we gather to remember the cross. And the fourth point this morning is we remember that we gather to serve one another. Israel has had quite a ride at this point in Joshua. God has worked amazing miracles in getting them across a dried up Jordan. He takes them across that dried up Jordan. He takes them now to, Je- to Jericho. Amazing miracle takes place at Jericho. And before, before you think, oh yeah, the walls fall down, there was a bigger miracle. It was the miracle of saving grace. Because there was a harlot named Rahab in Jericho. And God's grace broke through her heart. And she heard of the living God. She, who, why am I a guest? Can you imagine Rahab? Rahab, if she was sitting with us this morning, she would have been on her face. I live amongst the people of unclean lips. I am a sin-bound woman. Why am I a guest? That was a bigger miracle than the walls falling down. It's, it's a bigger miracle when, when God tears down the walls of depravity in the human heart and grace breaks through and forgiveness flows and righteousness is reckoned. That's far greater, guys. That is far greater than just a bunch of rocks falling down. Right? So... So big things have been taking place in Israel's life. They're being amazed. At, and, and that's, if, you, if you ever read through Joshua, notice that because there's a lot of bloodshed going on. There's a lot of judgment taking place in Joshua. But the first thing that takes place prior to the judgment of God is the mercy of God. Don't ever forget that. Don't ever forget that. So here's, they are now in battle mode. For seven years, they're going to be facing war after war after war. Every day, they wake up and there's another battle to fight. They've experienced two victories so far at this point. They've experienced the victory at Jericho. They've experienced the victory at Ai. Two battles won. I've got a little momentum here. Now get this. There are, <laughs> there are 29 more battles still to fight. Have you ever been there? Have you ever? It's like... Oh, finally, I've gotten through that. And then you look and you go, oh, man. (laughs) 
there's still 29 more things I've got to do. And, and there's a temptation, isn't there? There's a temptation to just get in fighting mode. There's a temptation just to get in doing mode. There's a temptation just to let the momentum of the moment carry you rather than worship carrying you. There's a, there's a ten- tendency to begin to rely on your strength and your perseverance. And, and I'll tell you what, the more you do that, those 29 things begin to look pretty pitiful, don't they? How many of you have discovered that finishing your to-do list is not a very good savior? But don't we, don't we act like that? This week is covenant group week. I guarantee you, for many of you, something's going to happen this week that you're going to think, oh, you know, I, I can remember that thing about 29 kings. I've got another battle I've got to face. You know, I'm going to miss covenant group this week. Because I've got another battle to fight. It's very easy to begin doing that, isn't there? Finishing your to-do list will not bring peace to your soul. There's just going to be another thing to do, right? <laughs> I, think it's, I think it's an illusion to begin with that there's ever a finishing of a to-do list. Don't stop. Your, don't quit being responsible, but let's, let's put first things first, right? So there's 29 more kings. And... Joshua does something amazing here. Um, and, and I think John Wesley maybe learned something about this. I think it was Wesley who said that when he looked at his schedule for the next day, some days were even more intense than other days. And the days where he had just a horrendous to-do list of sermons to preach and letters to write and horses to ride from one city to another city, Wesley was, was known to say, you know what, I have so much to do tomorrow that I better get up an extra two hours early, not to get started, but to worship. I need to remember. Before I do, I need to remember. I need for my heart to be in a position that is able to match the heat of my day. Don't you? Don't you? And now watch what Joshua does. Because he is now going to do something very, very similar. He's a great pastor in this regard. Two battles won, yet 29 kings remain. Now, from a strategic standpoint, if you pulled out your Bible maps and you look at where they are in the, in the map of Israel at that point and where the enemies were located, from a strategic standpoint, it would have just made logical military sense to march forward from Ai to overcome the next king. But in this passage, God is reminding us that trying to do our work with no worship makes us weak, right? <laughs> and, and that's a story so often of my life. So Joshua leads the picture this. This is about a million to two million people, um, depending on the commentator you're listening to. Um, he takes them on a 20 mile hike instead of just going a couple miles and come on, let's knock out the next king. Let's knock out the next thing I've got to get done. Life is so busy. I've got to get this thing done. I'll catch up with fellowship. I'll catch up with with getting together with my brothers and sisters. There'll always be another time for that. I've got to get this done. Joshua will not let them do that. He marches them away some 20 miles to make their camp in a place called Shechem. It was located in a beautiful valley. It's between two mountains, Mount Ebal. Remember, here we have Mount Ebal and Mount Gerizim. And just a word of encouragement. You know, it's crazy. Sometimes when the Lord is saying, listen, 
I don't want you to just work on your to-do list today. I want you to come away. I want you to go to covenant group. I want you to gather on a Sunday morning. And sometimes it feels counterproductive, doesn't it? Except that's the place God's going to give you what you could have never received without it. God's not leading you away from productivity or fruitfulness. God's bringing you to a place where you can truly be fruitful. And that, so that's what's happening here. Um, this was the sh- same Shechem where Abraham built his first altar when God was making his covenant with him. So remember, memorials and, and remembering. So just the very, they come into this very environment. It would be, it would be like my, my son, his junior class, they, they have a tradition at his school that they take the junior class uh, on an American history trip. And they, they go to, they went to, uh, flew into Baltimore, then they went to Philadelphia and Boston, and then they went to, uh, Gettysburg and New York and then into D.C. And it was one of these remember trips and they were looking at it from the standpoint of providential history and not just history, just God's involvement in things. And can you imagine? This is kind of like that trip. Here come the people of Israel and they've heard about Abraham and they've heard about God establishing a covenant with them. And they've heard about that there would God would raise up a people for His name. And now here's the answer. A million to two million people were coming in and it would be like you and I going to Gettysburg and, and, and looking at all the battle that took place there and going, wow, what, what a sacrifice was made for us. Can you imagine these million to two million people coming into Shechem going, oh, we're here. God, you've been faithful. We really needed this 20-mile hike. It was so worth it to come here and remember The covenant, oh God. So that's where they are. It's just so cool. I just really love the picture of that. What that would have meant for them. It was where Jacob came when he left Laban and he dug a well. It was the same place. So it was rich with history, rich with memories, rich, rich, a rich soil to be marked for the future. And in fact, we're going to hear in just a few minutes that this same area was the same area that Jesus met a woman at a well. And he makes reference to Mount Gerizim. We'll get to that in just a minute, just to wet your taste buds. It's really cool. Don't you love how the Bible is just, oh, it just, God has woven it together to teach us about his love and faithfulness. It's so, so great. Okay, so here, the mountains were about 3,000 feet high. And at their peaks, they're about a mile and a half apart. But at their base, they're about 500 yards apart. I'm giving you all this just so you begin to see. It's forming this beautiful amphitheater. I mean, today I had to come in and we get sound checks and everything because much as, as much as we try to design things, you know, we still need some help. We still need some, well, for, except for Peter. Peter needs no amplification. But, 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 but the rest of us need a little bit of help. And, but this was a place where if you stood in the middle of these two mountains, you could just speak. And if you were on this mountain, you could hear it. If you were on this mountain, you can hear it. You'll see why that is important in just a second. So here, what, what, begin to see why we gather. We gather first to experience the manifest presence of God. I want you to remember that when we were reading through the passage, very significantly, they brought the Ark of the Covenant representing that God is with us, that we didn't get here by any works of our own, that God is gracious, that God is the victor. And that we are simply following in the wake of his victory. 
And they, they gather, they put the Ark of the Covenant in the middle of everything, representing the presence of God. And it's, it's almost like just you and I right now to stop and just intentionally have the thought that the King of the universe is with us. The one who gave his only begotten Son so that whoever would believe on him they would receive the gift of eternal life. That God is with us. The God who knows those who are downcast this morning. He's with you to lift up your countenance. The God who is near to the brokenhearted. He's here. You're not alone. The presence of the Lord is so significant that in 1 Corinthians 14, I think, if I remember right, the setting is that an unbeliever comes into our midst and they hear the Word of God. They hear a prophetic voice. And what do they say? Surely, God is in this place. Moses was one of the first to discover that without the presence of the Lord, we're nothing. Lord, if your presence doesn't go with me, I don't care. I don't want to go. You've heard John Piper or some of these other great preachers talk about if, if you could have everything, all the joys of heaven, all the feast, the streets of gold, perfect health, no more fear, no more Satan, no more sickness. If you could have all of that, Without the presence of the Lord, would heaven be heaven? We need His presence, don't we? And that's what they are gathering to remember. Because when you are committed more to your to-do list, the last thing you're remembering is God is with me. And the battles that some of you are facing, you've got to know moment by moment He's with me, right? So there's the first point. The Ark of the Covenant is in the midst of them. The second point, I, I, how do we experience practically, how do we experience the presence of the Lord? When we gather together, we desire to experience the manifest presence of God. How practically does that come into play? Well, did you notice that there is a lot of talk about writing the law on these whitewashed stones? These giant stones are gathered and formed into an altar. The stones are whitewashed to make them easy to see. And upon the stones, Joshua writes the law of God. Minimally, we believe it was the Ten Commandments. Maybe there was some more out of Deuteronomy. In ancient times, it was a common practice to take these giant rocks and whitewash them and, and then write the conquests of a king upon them. They were like billboards. They reminded the conquered people to obey and they inspired the armies for more victories to come. This version of a billboard that Joshua puts together does not tell of Israel's victories, doesn't tell of Joshua's victories. This is a billboard that tells of the holy character of God. And this is a billboard that tells of His divine will for our lives. This is, this is what we are to obey. This is how we will give an account for this. And so you can picture these whitewashed stones were significant. They, they were clearly visible in the day because as the sun beat down on them, they would stand out. Uh, at night, as the moon beams landed upon them, they would glow. 
And it would be there so that the people would always have a guidance system. There would always be an ability to lift up your countenance, to look up to the Word of God, to look up to the will of God, to not be discouraged in what you're facing. And so why do we gather? Aren't we gathering? Listen, so many churches today, you know this, you've been so well taught by your pastors, but so many churches today, the people are gathering there's devotionals given, and even then, a, a man came to me the other day, Just he, he wept in my office. He said, may I visit your church? I've been looking for a church, but I've been going to churches. And he said, he said the pastor will open up a Bible, he'll read a verse, and then the rest of the time will be nothing about the verse. They'll spend more time showing movies and things and this and that and, and entertaining than they will be uh, exhorting and expositing the word of the living God. It's his word. The voice of the Lord wants to speak to us. It was such a that, that was a cool visit. <laughs> Can you imagine? We don't get a lot of visits like that. You know, it's just really wow. Do you want to speak for me on Sunday? No, I don't mean. Um, but it was just so great to hear a heart of a man who knew why we gathered. And so the centerpiece of Lakeview Christian Center is the word of God. And it will always be the centerpiece of this church. The word of the living God. Because that is one of the means of grace by which we experience the presence of God. Now, it goes a little further. Joshua, just like the pattern that Moses established before him, divides the people up into two groups. Half of these, let's say a million people, go up the slopes of Mount Ebal. And this is kind of cool that we have a center aisle right here. So will you all be willing to help me now in a little kind of illustration? Will you? Pretty weak. Okay, thank you. <laughs> So you guys are going to be Israel and, and Moses is, as Joshua is now asking you, please, would you climb up on the foothills of Mount Ebal? And on this side, you guys are the other 500,000 people of Israel. And we're going to ask you to climb up on the foothills of Mount Gerizim. 500,000 people here, 500,000 people here. Now, they're about ready to start exhorting each other. And I don't know, any LSU, this is going to be a really stupid question. Any LSU fans here this morning? Yeah? LSU beat Texas, you know. That's obvious. <laughs> I know, I know. <laughs> I know. And uh, Frank, where are you? Any Tulane fans here, Frank? No. Uh, got a couple of Tulane fans. <laughs> I don't know if they do this at LSU, but I want to give you kind of a sense of, of what's about to take place and what, what our meetings are to be like as God would move in our meetings, okay? Um, they are about to exhort each other. 500,000 people on this mountain, 500,000 people on this mountain. And they're about to express exhortation to each other. What would that be like? 500,000. I've never been to an LSU game, but I've heard that when the tigers roll, baby... It's deafening, and it's, it's almost goosebump kind of stuff, right, isn't it? In, in, in Lubbock, it's about two hours from us, they have the Texas Tech. Um, <laughs> hey, they can pass the ball, okay? They can pass the ball. Um, but anyway, they have Texas Tech. Stadium's not as big as Tiger Stadium, but, but here's what they do. They do this thing that one half of the stadium says, Raider, and it just goes, Raider, 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 Raider. And then this, this group over here says, 
power, 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 and raider, raider, power, power, raider, raider, power, and and it just pumps, it pumps them up. You know what I mean? It just there's this realm where they exhort each other, and that's for a football game. Here are people who are remembering God is faithful. God is merciful. And now 500,000 prepare to call out to this mountain. And 500,000 prepare to call out to this mountain. And that's where I'm going to ask you to, to help me in a minute because it's very interesting how they begin to call out to each other. The people on Mount Ebal, which the Scriptures begin to identify as the cursed mountain. <laughs> Aren't you glad? Don't you wish you were sat over here this morning? <laughs> oh, oh. But this is going to be so important. But th th these people over here have climbed up the mountain, and this is the mountain of the curse. And Mount Gerizim, they've climbed up on this mountain, and this is the mountain of blessing. And what Joshua is about to do is he's take, about to take the Word of God and he's about to read it and he will pronounce the curses of the law to the people on Mount Ebal and he pronounces the blessing of the law to the people on Mount Gerizim and the response of the people is Amen. So how about this? Just a little rehearsal. Amen. Very good. And for you guys? Amen. Amen. <laughs> Look, a little harder to say the amen when you're on the mountain of cursing, isn't it? Did you notice a difference? You guys were just patronizing me with your amen, right? I mean, thanks, mountain of cursing. Yeah, amen. Yeah. But these, you were excited, you know? Well, it, it is really neat how the Lord uses this. So here, let's, let's, let's begin to find ourselves wearing the sandals of Israel. Let's begin to find ourselves on these mountains. And what is the Lord? Remember, we're, we're, we're remembering why we gather. We're remembering why we're here. What does the Lord want to accomplish in our lives? And so, here we go. I'm going to go back to Deuteronomy. And Joshua would turn to the Israelites on Mount Ebal. And if, if, you're, if you're reading along, this would be in verse 15. I, sometimes I try to not just, Lord, what was in Joshua's heart? What was happening between you and this man? I wonder if he cried when he said these things. So here we go. Remember, there's a response from you. Cursed be the man who makes a carved or cast metal image an abomination to the Lord, a thing made by the hands of a craftsman and sets it up in secret. And you see the scripture here, it says, and all the people shall answer and say, Amen. Amen. Oh, that's a little bit better. There's not a lot of amens in our church world about this issue, is there? A lot of times we're gathering on Sunday mornings because we don't want to think about Mount Ebal. We just want the blessing. 
Just pile on blessing to the surface of my life, Lord. It doesn't matter that there are roots of sin under the soil that I want to ignore. A healthy church, when it gathers, is not afraid of Mount Ebal. It's not afraid to say, yes, we have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And that sin deserves a righteous judgment. Amen. I'm guilty. Amen. Amen. Thank you, sweetie. (laughs) 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 Um, Because, look, here's the next thing. If you're visiting today, we're not going to leave you right there because the next thing is, I'm guilty. I need a Savior. And so, and then he would come over here because as we're willing to accept responsibility for our sins and willing to expose that to each other and willing to make ourselves accountable to each other in a loving accountability, boy, there's the mountain of of Jerizim too. And so on the mountain of Jerizim, are you guys ready? Ready? Now, remember, and we're going to do this at the end of the service. Remember, all of these people are facing y'all because you should be on Mount Ebal too, shouldn't you? You know, and so what they're doing is they're not only accepting responsibility for themselves on this mountain, but it's almost as though their amen is also a warning. Sin kills. God is holy. We can't toy with a holy God. Let's, let's, let's help each other avoid sin. Stay away from sin. I mean, I mean, that's, there's an exhortation that's coming across. Again, already start applying this in covenant group life. Can you see your covenant groups like this? Yes. Oh, I've sinned. I do need help. I need a savior. And now Mount Gerizim, you guys spout forth. And Moses and Joshua says to them, this is in chapter 28. He says, and if you faithfully obey the voice of the Lord, your God, being careful to do all his commandments that I command you today, the Lord, your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth. And all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you if you obey the voice of the Lord. And you've heard some of these before. Blessed shall you be in the city and blessed shall you be in the field. I know, Paula, that's right. Yes, we love that. But now, guess who needs to hear that? The people who have experienced that we've been made righteous in Christ. The people who are downcast. They're convicted of sin. The Lord doesn't want them to stay in conviction any longer than conviction is to do a proper work. He's wanting to now restore them, isn't He? It's just this beautiful dynamic. 500,000 people, a curse is read. Amen. 500,000 people, a blessing is read. God's forgiving. He's merciful. He's redemptive. There's a future and there's a hope. Yeah, it is so awesome. And that's what's taking, to even kind of get a sense, hey, we're gathered for the right reasons this morning, aren't we? Because this is starting to happen for us. But you know what? More profoundly, it's this atmosphere that we are zealous and jealous that you experience in your covenant groups. This is, this is the way we grow. We need a combination of, yes, there's sin. I'm the chief of sinners. But that makes grace more amazing. And we need a combination of, Peter mentioned Barnabas. We need the Barnabases who point us to the blood. And that's where Joshua is going to point us to here in just a minute. In, in just a minute. 
So we admit we fall short. We admit that we deserve judgment. We also are rejoicing that that judgment has been paid for us. And where do we see that? In this next picture is here's the third point. So the presence of God, we were gathered to, to experience the presence of God. We want to remember that. Second, we gather to, to experience the word of God. And now we're experiencing that with our amens. And now... Let's, let's discover again that we gather to remember the cross. Now, oh, I was Keith about this this morning. This really got to me this morning. Um, if I'm on this mountain with you guys, and I've seen my family be willing to admit the curse of the law, and that we all deserve the judgment of God, That is a heavy, heavy thing. That's a fall on your face kind of thing. That is a woe is me kind of thing. But do you remember there was an altar? You're on this mountain. And people have just admitted their sin. But you look a little higher than the people. And there's those white stones. And if you'll look closely and you can almost smell it, there's smoke rising. Because someone died to cover the sins of the guilty. And you're on this mountain and you're seeing this picture of deserving wrath but receiving righteousness instead because there was a substitute for you. And it was a burnt offering. Some of you have prayed, oh Lord, please forgive me. And God, you know, there's fruit in accordance with your, your, your testimony of salvation. There's, there's evidence of grace in your life. But in terms of the renewing of your mind, you still struggle to believe that God paid it all. still one thing that haunts you, isn't there? I just don't know that he could forgive me. Do you notice it was a burn offering? Meaning they put it there and the fire totally consumes it. Christ on the cross. My God. My God. God, why have you forsaken me? Because he was a burnt offering. All the judgment fell upon him, totally consumed by the fiery wrath of God. Nothing is left. And that's for someone this morning. When Jesus said, it is finished, it's because the offering had been consumed by wrath. It's done. Isn't that good? You're forgiven. I know you guys guys are getting good at this. Hey, tell them that, okay? Thank you. Thank you. Oh, and aren't you guys glad about it? Give them one back. Yeah, that's... 
Amazing grace. You see, so as mad as... See, that's what's getting to me this morning. Right, here we go. Why? Why am I at the feast? Why am I here? How good you have been to us, oh Lord. How good you have been to us. Now, can I give you just a little thing? And this will bring it to a conclusion. But remember I said there was this about Jesus and Mount Gerizim in the New Testament? Keith, have you gone through the whole book of John so far? Did you go through? You didn't go through chapter 4? You did? And you talked about the Samaritan woman? You did? Oh, then you heard a lot better sermon then. Let's skip this. Um, no. <laughs> Let me give you just a neat little picture here. It's dangerous when we forget to remember. And the Samaritan people were classic for this because they began to almost be like a Thomas Jefferson and they began cutting out of the Scriptures what they don't want to accept and the, there's only part of the Scriptural text that they're accepting. And, and so look what they begin doing. They're forgetting to remember. They're forgetting that they gather to remember the whole Word of God. You remember Joshua said he read all the Word of God to the people. He, he didn't want to forget one bit of it. Samaritans over the years, as, as the Samaritan people are raised up and they are now forgetting the Word of God. And Jesus takes a detour one day, doesn't He? The disciples go on. Jesus takes a detour. He didn't have to go the way He's going. There was a shortcut to where His goal to get to was. But in this sovereign grace of the Lord, God takes a detour. Jesus takes a detour. And He comes to a well in a place called Shechem. <laughs> and there's Mount Ebal right here. And there's Mount Gerizim right here. And there's a woman at the well. She's a thirsty woman. She doesn't even know how thirsty she is. And Jesus begins to enter into a dialogue with her. And you remember what she says? She says, sir, I perceive you're a, you're a prophet. And, and Jesus begins to talk to her. And she asks him this question. Sir, your people say that it's in Jerusalem we're supposed to worship, but my people... Do you notice which mountain she picks? My people worship on what? Mount Gerizim. She's totally forgetting who? Mount Ebal. There's the condition of our world. When you forget to put God's Word as the centerpiece of your life or of our church gatherings, or of our covenant groups, we begin to forget the need for sanctification. We begin to forget the doctrine of indwelling sin. We think more highly of ourselves than we ought. We have a, a lowered dependence upon God. God begins to be someone to us who is just about the miraculous, just about the healing, just about the prosperity. So this is nothing new. It's, it's been going on for centuries. The prosperity gospel has been going on for centuries. I don't want to talk about sin. I don't want to talk about judgment. I want the mountain of blessing. And our people have built our church on the mountain of blessing. And what do you say about that, Jesus? Do you remember what Jesus does with her? He says, it's almost as though he says, ma'am, to have the mountain of blessing, you don't start with a mountain of blessing. Go get your husband. Look what he's going to do. Go get your husband. Can you imagine this woman speaking to God? <laughs> We're just stopping to think about it. Oh, yeah, yeah, come on. 
And she says, ah, I'm not married. And Jesus said, uh, I don't have a husband, she says. And Jesus said, that's right. You, you've had five husbands. And the man you're with now is not your husband. Boy, look what he's doing. You know what he's doing? It's like he's taking her by the hand. There's another mountain. And he brings her to her need of a Savior. You don't start with the blessing. You have to start with God is holy. Man is sinful. We deserve judgment. But there's an altar. (sighs) But there's an altar. And here's what happens in that woman's life. You remember what happens? The fruit of this. I love this picture. Because now she's experienced the love of God, the forgiveness of God. And now she goes back into her village. And you remember, here comes this this crowd of people coming out to see Jesus because she went back home as one who now was willing to say amen to the curse. Now she's one who's been gladly willing to say amen to the blessing. And she tells them, come meet a man who told me everything about myself. What is about her? I mean, you think about what she's lived. And it's almost as though she's saying, I want you to meet someone who knows the depth of my sin. And he still loves me. He still loves me. He's forgiven me. You've got to meet this man. You've got to meet this man. And I don't know if there's someone here this morning. I want you to meet that man. Maybe you thought your biggest need was to get that job or to get the promotion or for the marriage to be healed or the child to come home or the illness to go away. And you've all, all you've done is thought that I just, God, I need your blessing. And, and, and it seems like the blessings are delayed and you've been tempted to feel like, God, you're, you're a mean God. I'm asking you to heal me and you're not healing me. And God may be saying, oh, child, can I take you for a walk? Can I take you to the cross? Because what's killing your life is being separated from me. And what will change your life is being joined to me. And if that's you this morning, if God has just strangely warmed your heart and you're realizing, I don't need the healing, I need the healer. I don't need the money. I need the maker. Then turn from your sin. Cry out to God. Forgive me. I'm a sinner. Wash me and cleanse me. Forgive me and make me your child. I I repent of my sin. And I ask to be forgiven. Please, God, save me. That's right. Guys, it is so cool. This, I just, oh, what a, so, so our points for this morning is we gather to experience the presence of God. We remember to gather to experience the Word of God. We gather to remember the cross of our Christ. And we gather to serve each other. Matt, if you want to bring the team up, and Keith, I want to, I want to be careful on closing this as to how you would want to, to close this. But there's one last element. So if the worship team would come and, and be ready, um, 
But here, I'm gonna, let's, let's translate this into New Testament language. Would you stand? There are those of us here this morning who came in this morning much more aware of our sin than we were aware of God's forgiveness. And I pray that those who came in that way have been willing to just confess that sin with an amen. But I also pray that for every glance you've taken at your sin this morning, you've taken ten glances at the cross. Amen. And so when we gather on a Sunday morning, when you gather in your covenant groups this week, may it be maybe something a little bit more like this. And, and in fact, here, would you turn and face? Okay, you guys turn and face Mount Gerizim. Now, I'm sorry, it's not Mount Gerizim and Mount Ebal anymore. It's Mount Calvary. The cross is here in the middle, the mountain of Jesus' death. But would you everybody turn and face this way and look at the faces of the people you are in covenant relationship with. Look at people. Don't look past people, guys. Lakeview is Lakeview because of love. But God and His grace. But Lakeview, and God's wanting to grow Lakeview even more because of this. Looking into each other's lives. Being willing to exhort and warn and comfort and encourage. And so with those of you on Mount Ebal, how about this? We're going to change it into some New Testament language. When I cue you, would you please shout out the amen? Christ became a curse for us so that we could become the righteousness of God in Him. You guys, every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies is ours in Christ Jesus. And remember, you're telling that to each other, right? This is just when one big loving covenant group this morning, right? That, that they're telling that to each other. How about this, guys? The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. Amen. And how about this, you guys? There is, therefore, right, Keith? No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Amen. Matt, Keith, you want to worship the Lord. Too many good, helpful, very encouraging things to recap. I trust God met you in an incredibly encouraging way. You know, if there's one thing that is highlighted, though, it, you know, it took a few moments for us to encounter that passage. I mean, what an outstanding passage that I probably would have read in about 25 seconds and just moved on, right? I mean, there was some help in that passage in Joshua.
But it was necessary for us to turn aside and make some room for it in our lives. And how refreshed we are right now by what we just heard. So what a living illustration of what that word intended to do for us, to turn us aside, to receive the very encouragement that the word is to bring to us. And, and you just demonstrated exactly what it looks like for the spirit of God to bring the word of God to bear on our lives. So Billy, thank you. Thank you for the gift and the help. I'm going to pray and, and let Matt close us in a song. Father, thank you for, for this word. Lord, I trust that in the hour of our lives as a church, Lord, where truly you have you've added many to our midst. And Lord, thank you for the help today in seeing the fullness of what it means for us to be a part of encouraging one another. For, Lord, we will find ourselves one day standing on one mountain and another day standing on the other. Lord, thank you for the voices that shout to us from whatever day we find ourselves needing to hear others clarifying for us what really is the truth about where we stand. Lord, would you help us that this be a living reality for us? For Lord, our lives never stop needing encouragement. Our lives, Lord, never stop needing encouragement. God, help us to locate our lives in the places where encouragement can be found. Lord, it is amidst your people, having your word open to us, drawing near to your presence, gathering together. Lord, thank you for the billboard this morning that's shouting to us about covenant groups and our need to have others being a voice of encouragement in our lives. So Lord, as we close in song, Lord, would you, would you etch more deeply into our hearts what we need to be taking individually from this word. From all across this room, Lord, in different places and in different challenges of our walk, God, thank you for fresh encouragement to lift our heads and run the race for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.